Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Hey church, if you have your Bibles, open those things up. Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9. We're going to jump right into Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 50. Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 50. I titled the message for today, Dirty Words. Dirty Words. That is the title for the message today. Very clever. I'm very creative. That's all I got. That's all I really got. Dirty words. But let me just kind of uh, uh, set the context for today. Uh, Jesus, uh, after chapter, in chapter 8, when, when we saw Peter's confession of who Jesus was, that Jesus was the Messiah, right after that, uh, Jesus really started focusing on discipleship. Uh, he really started focusing on training the 12, and he spent a lot of time just preparing them for ministry, and especially preparing them as he was headed towards the cross. And here are a few things that Jesus um, really uh, taught them um, during this time. Uh, number one, he taught them about the importance of faith and prayer and how those two are connected, uh, that they have greater faith if they have a greater prayer life. Um, he taught them about that. He taught them about how the greatness is not about how many people they serve, right, or, or they get served by, but about how many people they serve. They ta- he taught them about serving others. Uh, he taught them about partnering with other people in the ministry, uh, that God could actually do something outside of itself. So he continues to really focus on discipleship. He continues to focus on deep discipleship. Now, Today's passage is going to be the last passage before he starts heading down to the region of Judea. And uh, so it, it kind of, it's a break between um, chapter 9 and chapter 10. There's going to be a little break after this, but he's going to really hone in here on some deeper discipleship stuff. And you're going you're gonna to see today that Jesus, um, a lot of times the way Jesus gets painted isn't the right way that, that he should be painted. You're going to see Jesus share some very harsh words uh, with his disciples here today. Uh, But I hope and pray that they're going to be encouraging to us as we want to be deeper disciples of Jesus. Because I don't know anybody, I'm assuming because you're here, you don't want to be a superficial or shallow disciple of Jesus. Anybody want to be a a superficial? Okay, great, great. Okay, so we all want to be deep disciples of Jesus. And today he's going to take us in deeper as this transition period here. Uh, But I want to read the scriptures um, and we'll kind of get going. It says this. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. I want to just take a few minutes to pray, 
I also want to pray uh, for, there's uh, nine churches today that are launching uh, all across the country. We are part of a church planting network called ARC, uh, and there's currently nine churches planting, uh, some in California, Tennessee, uh, Georgia, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., and so we want to lift them up in prayers. They have their service right now as well. So let's go before God and pray. God, we thank you so much for this text. We pray that you'd bless it to our lives. We pray that the truth of Scripture uh, would cause in us to love you deeper, uh, to be true and deeper disciples of you, Jesus. We want to know you more. We want to know you better, and we want to be used by you in a greater way. God, I pray for um, all the nine churches in our church planting network that are launching right now. Some of them are having their services as we speak. I understand the anxiety, the uh, excitement, uh, just the nervousness of launching a church on, on day one. And so, God, I pray that you would be with each and every pastor, that you would be with his team, uh, that you would honor all the hard work that they put in over the last couple of years to launch a life-giving church in their community to reach people who are far from you, who need to hear the powerful message of the gospel, the gospel that saves. I pray for every pastor that you would anoint, me, anoint them, be with them, may they preach the word of God uh, with conviction and with power. We thank you. We honor you, Jesus, today. We pray that through the Spirit would lead us and guide us in our study of your word. And all of God's people said, amen. Church, there are certain words that have become dirty words. They have become dirty words within Christianity. They are rarely taught in the pulpit. They are very rarely taught at small groups. Uh, they're very rarely mentioned um, just among believers. There's some very dirty, dirty words that we just don't talk about anymore. Why? Why don't we talk about these certain words within Christianity, at least here in the West. Bottom line is this, these dirty words uh, don't get people in the seats a lot of the times. Uh, these dirty words uh, could be offended, offensive to people. Uh, people will not come back if they, when they hear a message on these dirty words. People will feel judged and the seats will not be filled. People will feel convicted and not come back and that's really a lot of times the bottom line. If I could just be honest and transparent with you. A lot of these dirty words are very um, direct words, not even from the pastor himself, but from the scriptures. And so we kind of shy away from these dirty words that are found in the scriptures or the, the concepts or topics that are found in the scriptures. And I believe that a lot of the times when we take this approach, when we don't teach these dirty words, I think what we end up doing is we value people's comfort over their Christ-likeness. We value people's comfort over their Christ-likeness. Hey, I want you to feel comfortable, and therefore I'm not going to share what's really in the scriptures because I want you to come back, and I want you to fill a seat. A lot of times it's all about nickels and noses, right? That, that's really what it is. And so a lot of times we just kind of value people's comfort over Christ's likeness. And so what I was, as I was studying for this passage, and by the way, it's a pretty complicated passage, and I want to simplify it for you. And, and um, as I was studying, I was just trying to make it easy for myself, because I'm a little slow, okay? So I was just trying to make it very easy for myself to understand this passage. And what I realized, what I've come to realize is that the way that I summarized this passage and the way I broke this passage down was with four words. 
just to make it simple for me because it was kind of complicated. And I realized that those four words are the very four words that don't get taught in church anymore. And I'm just like thinking about it. I'm like, these words, these uh, topics, right, these teachings from Christ that are supposed to really encourage us to become deeper disciples of Jesus, these very issues and topics and teachings are the very things that the church, the people that sit in the chairs are being kind of neglected by not being taught these things. These four words that believers desperately need are the same words that are being withheld from believers all across the country, all across the world. Now, here's the thing. When I came to Christ, I tried to stop using dirty words, okay? I tried to stop using dirty words when I came to Christ, but now I love dirty words. I love dirty words, and I'm not ashamed to use dirty words, okay? So you're probably wondering, okay, tell us what these dirty words are. I'm going to tell you what they are. Don't you worry. Here we go. We're just going to jump right in. Word number one is sin. It's sin. That's word number one. We, we don't talk about sin that much anymore. We just don't. It's a dirty word. Let me, let me, let me explain it to you. Verse 42, it says this, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. This is Jesus speaking here, by the way. Who are these little ones? Well, these little ones in context refer to fellow believers because of verse 37, if you look at it in context. These are fellow believers who are weaker in the faith. They're newer believers. They're uninformed believers. They're, they're lowly believers, those that are rejected. These little ones are fellow believers. And Jesus says that whoever causes one of these fellow believers to sin, right, to sin, meaning to disobey God, uh, meaning leading people to, um, to sin or tempting them to sin or becoming a stumbling block upon their life, um, you know, Jesus says, hey, it better, it, there, there's some serious consequences for you. Like if you are a believer leading other believers in sin, especially lowly ones, man, there's some serious, serious consequences upon your life. And notice the quantity, just one. He says, whoever causes one of these little, one of them. Think about believers who are leading many people into sin. The judgment and the consequences that is upon them. Jesus said, just one. If you just lead one, it'd be better for you to suffer some serious consequences if we lead others into sin. It could be something as an unforgiving spirit when you're dealing with someone who's a fellow believer. An unforgiving spirit, a dis dishonest business transaction, gossip, pride, whatever it may be. Because that's what the disciples were struggling with, pride. If you look at the context, man, they were just a prideful bunch. And Jesus says, hey, if, if you cause one of my fellow believers to sin, to stumble, to disobey me, look what he says. He says, it is better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and were thrown into the sea. A millstone is a heavy wheel-shaped stone tied to a pole that was turned by a donkey. And as it walked around uh, a birdbath-shaped structure, uh, there was grain that was poured into the structure, and this wheel would crush the grain. So let me just have a picture for you. So that's what a millstone is, this, this heavy-shaped wheel. 
right there. And so Jesus says, if you cause another believer to sin, right, if you lead them into sin, especially a lowly one, it is better for you to get, uh, tie this, this millstone around your neck and then go jump off a cliff into the depths of the sea. In other words, what Jesus is saying, hey, put some cinder blocks on your feet and go jump, jump off into the ocean. That would be better for you. What's the opposite? His judgment against this believer. It would be better to die a horrible death than to lead another, or another believer into sin. In the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 18, this is what it says. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. You see, we expect the world to tempt believers. We expect that. But we don't expect believers to tempt other believers. We expect the world and the worldly ways and culture and society to lead other, to tempt other believers to, to sin, but not so much with believers. Followers of Christ don't lead others away from Christ. Look what the passage says. Woe, woe to the world, woe to the person. It's a curse. It's a judgment upon that person if they decide to lead other person, another person, another believer into sin. The person brings judgment upon themselves. Essentially what Jesus is saying is if you tempt like the world, you're of the world. If you tempt like the world, you're of the world. A believer doesn't lead other believers to sin. And boy, there's some serious, serious consequences if you do. Now the question is, how do we cause others to sin as believers? I think there's two simple and basic ways. Number one, by invitation. By invitation. You invite other people into your lifestyle. You invite other people to sin, to do what you are doing. It's by invitation. The second way is by imitation. They see the way that you live, your, your example, and they try to imitate you, and it's not the best example to follow. And so you lead them into sin. One day they see you worshiping God, raising your hands up to heaven, praising God and the remaining six days living completely far from Christ. By invitation and by imitation, we lead other people into sin. I love what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ, as I am of Christ. Can you and I say that today to other people? Hey, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Can we say that? Can we say, hey, follow my example as I follow Christ. Like, do what I do. And if you do what I do, and if you follow Jesus like I follow Jesus, man, I think you'd be good. I don't think Paul was saying it in a prideful way. I don't think he was. He was just saying, hey, I think you're better off if, if you imitate me. Why? Because not, it's, it's not about me. It's because of Christ. Can we say that? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. The positive, the positive side of causing people to sin is, is, is on, on the other side is compelling them to follow Christ. Like what if your life was a catalyst for people to come to Christ? 
What if your life, instead of tempting others to sin and, and tripping them on, what if your life was a catalyst for people to grow in Christ? What if they saw your life and said, man, I want to be like this person. I want to follow Christ like this person. I want to pursue Jesus like this person. I want to love and serve Jesus like this person. That's the positive side. And that is my hope and my prayer for you. But here Jesus is warning his disciples. Guys, don't lead people into sin. Don't let your sin lead other people to sin. Because if you do, it'd be better if you just jumped off the deep end. Sin, dirty word number one. Dirty word number two is holiness. It's holiness, verse 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. There's so much in these texts. Let, let me just summarize it for you first, what Jesus is trying to get here, and then I want to break it down for us, okay? He, here's the summary. I think, I think what Jesus is trying to get at here is this, that you and I, believers, must deal with sin seriously. Like we have to take sin in our lives seriously. You must radically eradicate sin in your life. I think what Jesus is saying here is you can either choose holiness or you can choose hell, but you got to choose one. You can either choose purity or you can choose punishment. We must get rid of anything that is hindering our holiness. I think Jesus, what he's saying here is you must get rid of anything that is polluting your purity. In other words, you must kill sin before it kills you. I think that's the summary in this passage. Now, let me just break it down for a second. Jesus says it's better if you would, uh, if you're, if you're, or he says if your hand causes you to sin, your hand, uh, your foot, or your eye. The hand here symbolizes what we do. The hand symbolizes what we do. The foot symbolizes where we go. And the eyes symbolize what we see, okay? The hands, what we do, the foot, where we go, and the eyes, what we see. Essentially, it's everything that we do, the way that we live our lives in a complete whole. Jesus says if your hand or your foot or your eye causes you to sin, then cut it off. Tear, tear it out. Tear out your eye. Cut off your foot. Now, here's the thing. Don't go home and cut off a limb. Please do not go home and cut off. Jesus is not supposed to, he, he wasn't talking about this literally. I just want to make it clear for insurance purposes, okay? Just, all right. My pastor said, my pastor said, this is not literal. It is actually a sin to mutilate your body according to Deuteronomy chapter 14. But people have actually taken this passage literal for a long time. A.J. Gossip was a Scottish, Scottish preacher, and he had a student in his church uh, who actually cut off his hand with a razor. He cut off his hand with a He took this passage serious. Origin of Alexander 
a third century theologian, had himself emasculated in an attempt to overcome sexual desires. Ouch. That's all I got to say is ouch, man. That, that must have hurt. That must have hurt. So it's not to be taken literal. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's not about physical mutilation. It's about spiritual mortification. It's not about physical mutilation. It's about spiritual mortification. Killing the sin that is in us. It's about holiness. It's about purity. It's the mortification of sin in the life of believers. Jesus, what he's doing here, is calling for a radical severing of sin in our lives. He's calling for holiness. What does Jesus say? He said, hey, it is better for you to enter the kingdom. It is better for you to enter life crippled, lame, dot and I. Here, the word life and the, the kingdom are the same thing. It's eternal life in the presence of God. That's what he's referring to. It is better for you to sever your body, sever, kill the sin that is in you so you can go have eternal life in the presence of God forever. We must seriously deal, deal with sin to enter the kingdom of God and have eternal life. Because what's the other option? What is the other option when it comes to eternal life with God? It's hell. It is better to sever sin and enter life with one hand, one eye, or foot than to be thrown in hell. Hell is used 12 times in the New Testament. How many do you think, how many times do you think Jesus used the word hell out of the 12? 11. Out of the 12 times in the New Testament that hell occurs, Jesus used it 11 times. Hell is important. Hell is a dirty word. I love dirty words. I do. Because I love you. And Jesus says, hey, it's better for you to sever your sin than to be thrown into hell. Hell is the New Testament word used for the place of punishment. It is the Greek word Gehenna, which comes from the Hebrew word, which means valley of Hinnon. It was a valley of south of Jerusalem. Here uh, in the Old Testament, King Ahaz and King Manasseh, what they would do was that they would offer child sacrifices in this valley to the pagan god Molech. That's what they would do. It was this valley. And there was child sacrifices in this valley. There was pain. There was torture. There was punishment in this valley. Later on, King Josiah made it a dump. That's what he did. This valley of Hinnom, this Gehenna, this hell, became a dump. They would burn trash there. They would also dispose of corpses in this valley, this valley of Hinnom, this Gehenna. They, they, would burn 20, they would burn trash and burn bodies 24-7, day and night. It would not stop. And that's what Jesus is referring to here when he talks about hell, where the fire does not stop 24-7 when there's a putrid smell and stench, this horrible, horrible experience. And that's the picture that the disciples would have in their mind. Jesus says, 
where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. What do we know about hell? We know, obviously, that Jesus thought it was important. We know that hell is real. Jesus talked about hell a lot. Number two, we know that, Jesus, that, that hell is eternal. Jesus says here the fire is not quenched. It's eternal. It's real. It's eternal. It's an eternal hell. And number three, hell is conscious. The people that will spend the rest of eternity in hell and the people that are currently in hell are conscience, conscious. Matthew 25, 30. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's real. It's eternal. And the people that go there will experience conscious torment. It is better to sever yourself now than to suffer in hell for eternity. I often get this question, Johnny, what do you think about hell? Like, do you think it's literal? Do you think it's figurative? Do you, uh, do you think the flames are literal flames that like burn your body? What do you think, church? Are the flames literal flames? I would say no. I don't think that the flames of hell are literal flames, like fire. I don't think they burn your skin off. I don't think, I don't think it's anything like that. You see, hell was created, according to the Bible, for Satan and his demons, which are immaterial beings, are spiritual beings. So I believe that Jesus, when he talks about hell, or the New Testament talks about hell, he's ta it's talking about a, uh, uh, it's using it figuratively, it figuratively. It's using, he, they're using it as a metaphor, so not something literal. James chapter 3, verse 6, this is a different use of hell, but, um, or fire, I'm sorry. Uh, but I think it's also a metaphor. The tongue also is fire, uh, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it set itself sets on fire by hell. And so I don't think James here is using fire literally uh, either. I think it's figurative. I think it's a metaphor. So I think that eternal punishment away from God is not a literal punishment. Now, here's the thing. We shouldn't take this lightly. Like, okay, I'm good. Like, just in case I go to hell, like, it's not a literal fire, so then I'm okay. No. I don't think we should downplay hell. I think we should take it very serious. Why? Because hell is eternal separation from God. Number one, hell is also eternal experience of his wrath. Hell is separation from God, the presence of God, where one day people will physically be in hell, away from the presence of God, away from his love, away from his grace, away from his mercy, away from his glory, yet experiencing the full-on wrath of God for all of eternity. For all of eternity. Now think about this for a second. Think about this. The New Testament uses fire, right, as a symbol to communicate reality. Okay? It's using a symbol, a metaphor to communicate something that's real. If what Jesus was communicating, this dump, this valley of hint on this 
stump where it stunk and the fires and the body just burned for all of eternity, if that was a symbol of reality, what do you think reality would be? Even worse. Reality is worse than the symbol. It would be terrifying. See, here's the thing. People don't want anything to do with God now, here on earth, as they experience God's common grace. Will people really want to have something to do with God when they experience his full wrath in hell for all of eternity? At that point, they'd want to get away from God. If you want to get away from God now, as we experience his common grace in hell, you'd really want to get away from him. Believer, take sin seriously. Are there hidden activities or habits that occupy you? Things that if perhaps someone else knew about, you would be most embarrassed. Are there places where your feet carry you, where you have no business going and doing? Are there events that you attend that involve temptations you cannot handle? What are you reading? What are you watching on TV? What's on your computer and on your phone? Take sin seriously. Believer, assure yourself that you're saved. Assure that you are in Christ. J.C. Ryle says this, according to the men of the world, few are going to hell. According to the Bible, few are going to heaven. 54% of U.S. adults believe they will get to heaven after they die, 54%. 2% believe, only 2% believe that they're going to hell. 15% say they don't know what's going to happen after they die. 13% say there is no life after death. 8% believe in reincarnation. Uh, 8% believe that they're going to go to a place of purification prior to entering heaven. It's interesting that most people believe that they're not going to hell. What does scripture say? Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Our world says that only few will go to hell. Jesus says, Many will go to hell. Believer, fight for purity. Fight for holiness in your life. Eradicate sin, not by your power, but the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. I love what Daniel Aiken says. He says, a saving faith is a fighting faith. A saving faith is a fighting faith. Meaning that if you truly 
are saved. If you have a saving faith, a genuine faith in God, you will persevere until the end. Yes, as believers, we're going to be tempted into sin. We'll trip into sin. We're always going to sin, but we will not practice and live in sin. That's a whole different story. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6 says this, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Let me just make it clear. If there is habitual, continual, unrepentant sin in your life, chances are that you are on that broad road that leads to hell. I can't get any more clear than that. Believers don't make a practice, a habit, live in sin. I'm just a, I'm just a messenger today, church. Please, you guys are staring at me like you want to kill me. I'm just a messenger. The word sin in our passage in the Greek, it's the present tense, which has this continual aspect to it. If your hand, your foot, your eye... Uh, causes you to sin, present tense, continually, habitually, unrepentantly, boy, are you truly saved. Now, here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus came to save sinners. That's the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus came to save people from their hell now here on earth, because guess what? People are going through hell now. But he's also saved us from hell in the future. The beauty of the gospel. That if you would repent and place your faith in Christ, you would be forgiven. You would have assurance of salvation that on the day that you take your last breath, you will be in paradise with God. The good news of the gospel. I share some bad news. The good news. There's still time for you today. Eternity matters today. Eternity matters right now. Where will you be if today's your last day? And here's the thing. I've said it before. I ain't trying to scare the hell out of you. I ain't. I'm not. I want to get heaven into you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, as you repent and place your faith in Christ, surrender to him. Make him the Lord of your life. You see, we're a people that is saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. That's what Martin Luther said. We are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone, meaning that your faith in Christ saves you. But it's partnered with holiness and purity and obedience to God. good news of the gospel. Jesus wants to forgive you so you can spend eternity with him starting today. Dirty word number three, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Verse 49, for everyone will be salted with fire. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salted here uh, alludes to Leviticus chapter 213 actually, where salt appears as a purifying agent 
in the Old Testament sacrificial system. So this, this idea tra- traces back all the way to Leviticus in their Old uh, Testament sacrificial system. Uh, uh, let me read a couple of verses here. Leviticus 2.13. You shall season all of your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain. With all of your offerings, you shall offer salt. Ezekiel 43, 23 to 24. When you have finished purifying it, you shall offer a bull from the herd without blemish and a ram from the flock without blemish. You shall present them before the Lord and the priest shall sprinkle salt on them and offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. So here the idea of salt is a purifying agent. Fire in the New Testament uh, symbolizes sacrifice, suffering, persecution. And so the combination of salt and fire may indicate the purification that takes place through the fires of persecution and trials as believers offer themselves as, as a living sacrifice before God. So as we are going through the trials of life, as we have salt upon our life, this purifying agent, as we go through the hardships of life, through those times where we feel like giving up, through persecution, uh, through, through the storms of life, God is purifying our faith. We are suffering, but we are suffering with a purpose. As God refines our hearts, he refines our faith. In him. I love what Romans chapter 12 says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. First Peter chapter 1, 6 through 7. In, the, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter's telling the believers, hey, rejoice in your trials. Rejoice in your suffering. Rejoice in your sacrifice so that the testedness, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than, than that of gold, uh, perish, I'm sorry, more precious than gold that perishes through it is tested by fire may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith is tested and purified through fire as we suffer and as we sacrifice for God. Suffering is the badge of true discipleship. We're all gonna suffer. We're all gonna go through sacrifice. That is, that's part of our deep discipleship. Sin Holiness, eradicating sin, holiness, suffering, sacrifice. And those who are truly born again will persevere until the end. And only those who persevere to the end are truly born, who push through, who persevere. Last dirty word, obedience. Salt is good, but if that salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Here, what's very interesting is that Jesus uses a different type of salt or a different term for salt. Here, it's more of a domestic type of salt. Salt back then was used a lot of the times for preservatives as, as a, per, uh, a preserving agent, especially because they didn't have refrigerators. So they used salt as this preserving agent. And so what, what Jesus is really saying here is that Christians are like preservatives on this world. 
Christians are likewise a source of spiritual life for the world. They resist evil and thus preserve the moral order. But salt must not lose its saltiness. There was salt that was found in the Dead Sea. and It was good salt, but the truth is that a lot of the times it contained a lot of impurities. And so if the true salt was removed, it would not have the life-giving, life-saving function of salt. It was diluted salt as they try to remove the impurities. If they didn't remove the impurities, it was mixed salt, useless, unable to preserve. And so Jesus says, have salt in yourselves, you guys. Give life to this world. Preserve this world. Go out and love people. Go out and make a difference. Go out and change the culture. Go out and fight against evil. Go out and stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. You are a preserving agent. But you got to obey because look what he says here at the very end. He says, have peace with one another. He commands them to obey. He commands the disciples to obey and have peace with one another. Why? Because they've been fighting and fighting and fighting. And here's the thing. If they don't have peace with one another, if they're not obeying the commands of God, then how can they preserve a world? How can God use the disciples if there's so much division among them, if they can't simply obey a command to love one another? How can they make a difference in this world? They can't. They have to obey God so that God can use them to be preservative on this world. Here's the main point of today, church. Dirty words lead to deep discipleship. Dirty words lead to deep discipleship. I know it's a lot. I know sometimes it's hard to hear some of these things. It's hard to preach it. I'm sweating bullets up here. Or it could be that I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. I don't know. And it's 110. That's deep discipleship. Don't lead other people into sin through your sin. Pursue holiness, purity. Kill the sin that's in you, right? Be ready to sacrifice everything that you are for the kingdom, for others, for the gospel. And obey so that you can be preservative on this world. So you can preserve God's commands, God's law. At the end of the day, what matters is this. It's the glory of God, the salvation of men. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The glory of God. He gets the praise through our deep discipleship. And people see your life, and what do they do? It points them to Christ. It points them to God. They see your works. They see your life. They see your deep discipleship. And it points them to God. That's why deep discipleship matters. Because people matter and the glory of God matters. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for this text. God, I know it's challenging. I know you're calling us to be deep disciples of you. I know you're calling us today to to really see if we are in you. You're calling us to love our brother and sister in Christ. You're calling us to holiness. You're calling us to sacrifice and suffer. You're calling us to obedience. You're calling us to deep, deep discipleship. True discipleship. Far too many of us, we've had just a shallow discipleship. We've been following you and just simply going through the motions, and we've been like just so shallow in our love for you and our pursuit of you, and we've been careless about the sin in our lives. But God, you're calling us to a deeper place. You're calling us to be true disciples. Pray today that you challenge your people. You challenge your people here today. But at the same time that you would encourage your people to pursue you and to love you. And God, I pray for believers who don't have a true sense of assurance of their salvation. I pray through the mighty work and power of your spirit that you would give them that assurance of salvation. That they will not spend their life apart from you experiencing your wrath that they would experience your glory, your beauty, your love for all of eternity. God, I pray if there's anyone here today who doesn't have a relationship with you, that they would repent of their sin right there, right where we are, right here, right now. Maybe they're at home watching through YouTube or Facebook. Maybe they're gonna watch this sometime later on. They repent, place their faith in you for salvation, for eternal life, for entrance into the kingdom of God, to entrance into the paradise, into the new heaven and a new earth that begins now. The beautiful thing about you, God, is that you not only change our eternity, we don't have to wait to experience that change in eternity we can experience it now as we humble ourselves surrender under your lordship under your guidance under your sovereignty upon our lives Jesus take us deeper take me deeper use us for your glory and for your honor. We give you all the praise. In your mighty name we pray, amen.
Amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.